Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us here today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, it's a, a great day to be together. My name is Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover. I just want to thank Efren for his message last week. Tough message. Uh, he did an excellent job, so thank you for that, Efren. Um, and just one more reminder that today's message is PG-13. Um, and to be honest, if kids are still in here, you're saying that everything that I'm going to say is okay for their ears to hear. That's up to you. <laughs> and we can tell you it's going to be PG-13. So Cindy's back here. If you want to go ahead and release any children to go with her and the, t- and the teachers that are waiting for them, feel free to do that. Otherwise, we're going to just assume it's all good, and you may have some fun conversations this week. <laughs> so <laughs> just saying. Um, okay. Well, today's topic is sexuality. And... Um, I can honestly say I've never spoken on this topic for Mother's Day. But uh, Christian moms know that we need to talk about it. It's a relevant subject um, in our culture, in our world. It always has been, always will be. Um, Today, I I just really want to let you know on a a few things. First of all, I think you will agree with some things that I say today. I'm, I'm pretty confident you will. I'm confident you will disagree with some things that I say today. Um... I also think that you may disagree with different things or agree with different things than the people around you. I'm just being real honest here. Um, But here's what I would ask, that you would hang on to the very end, that you wouldn't check out, that you wouldn't just dwell on one point, that you wouldn't get stuck, that you wouldn't stand up and take off and say, I don't believe that, and, you know, whatever. Um, I I would challenge you as well, and I'm challenging myself, to focus on the part that God has for you, for me, It's very easy with a message like this to think of people or groups and say, aha, see, see, see. When um, our mothers taught us very well, right, if you point a finger, you have three pointing back at you. Um, So take whatever God is giving to you in this message, and that's all that it is. It's for you, whatever part there is there, okay? Um, This topic is humongous. Um, I have about 11 pages of of outline, and to let you know, I normally do 10, so it's a little bit longer than normal, <clears throat> but I had almost 30 when I was getting ready to, to start putting it together, and so it's just so much stuff, so there'll be stuff that you want to talk about in your life groups, you need to do that, in your families, you need to do that, you need to pray about it, you need to dig into it, and um, we're covering three chapters from the counterculture book today, so please, please, please dig in, and really, really important for us always is to pray, so let's do that right now. God, you know this topic. Um, we, we ask that you would uh, speak with your spirit and your word and your wisdom and remind us of your holiness and your passion and your compassion. In the name of Jesus, amen. I mean, this is on our walls. Um, this thing called the Great Commandment, it's really what we need to start with, um, I think, anytime we talk about subjects that can be challenging for us. And it's um, that we need to love God and love people. Jesus talked about it in Mark chapter 12. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we start. And here's why. There are not any out clauses in here, you know. Um, it doesn't say love God as long as you agree with what he says. It doesn't say love people as long as they're exactly like you or um, just love whoever you want to. It says you love everybody. So that means if they're old or young or rich or poor or gay or straight or whoever they are, you love people because God loves people. All right? Now let me be really transparent. I want to get this out of the way. Um, some people, some of us, I'm raising my hand here, need to apologize for some historical things that we have said, thought, act, judgmental actions, stereotyping, gay jokes, and I'm not, I'm not 
so don't misunderstand, this is not a sermon about homosexuality, although it will be part of it, but I need to get this out of the way because I think sometimes we've caused great pain to people who struggle with that issue. So we, me, I can't speak for anybody else, um, I just ask for your forgiveness. If I've said anything to you or anyone else has um, who said they are Jesus followers, that's been harmful and hurtful to you. Um, we need to not do that. You know, I would say probably it would be wise for people who think that anytime um, truth is spoken, whether it's spoken in love or not, they see that as hate, and it's not. But I'm not here to talk for those people. I'm here to talk for myself. So again, my apology is to those um, who I need to apologize to. Billy Graham said it really well. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. An important part of loving is to speak the truth. So here's the wonderful truth about this issue, and this is good news. God has a great design for sex and sexuality. He does. Allender and Longman wrote a book that's called, are you ready? God Loves Sex. Title of the book, God Loves Sex. In it they say this. I've never said that phrase before um, in a sermon for sure. Uh, In it they say, sex awakens our deepest physical and spiritual desires. Sex fills us with intense bodily pleasure and with the reverberations of another world that is transcendent and holy. No wonder the enemy of God is relentlessly committed to fouling both pleasure and joy. Evil hates sex and is ruthlessly committed to tearing down the bridge between desire and holiness. That's powerful. God loves sex. He invented it. In the very first chapters of the Bible, God told the very first people, man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he said, I want you to go multiply. <clears throat> and he wasn't talking about times tables, you know, or anything like that. He was talking about sex. He was. And Jesus, who is God, who was there at the beginning, who was part of the creative process, <clears throat> affirms that same concept In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning the creator made the male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and be united to his wife. That's talking about marriage. And the two of them will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, marriage and all that it goes with it, let people not separate. Let no one separate. So God gives us this command to have sex. And I'm like, sign me up for that one, God. I'm good. With the command that's better than the tithing thing and the sacrificing thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Just, I'm there. And, he, and we kind of think it's easier to follow that command, but I, I think this is one of the hardest things for us to do. Samson was unbelievably strong. Solomon was incredibly wise. David was called a man after God's own heart. And all three of those guys sinned sexually. Maybe this quiz is going to help us see the challenge of sexual purity. Now, don't raise your hand. Just answer in your head. True or false quiz. True or false, I've had sex with someone outside of marriage. True or false, I've been attracted to someone of the same sex. True or false, I've read or watched things that are sexually explicit. True or false, I've had feelings of lust for someone who's not my spouse. True or false, I can't believe Steve just asked us those questions. (laughs) Sexuality is challenging. It's a powerful driver. It affects who we are emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. And when we live in God's design for it, sex is amazing. It's wonderful. But as we've already seen, 
All of us, all of us, all of us have gone outside of God's design. Imagine you're playing tennis, okay? And um, your opponent is serving first, so you wait, and the serve comes, and, and it's out by like six inches, and the line judge says, in, and you're like, what? No way. And you're like, okay, maybe they just missed that one, and so you, you slide over to the other side of the court, and you wait the next, the next serve, and it's in, and, and you hit it, and you, you have an amazing return. And uh, they have to run quite a distance. And when they hit it, they have no control, and they hit it, and it just goes way out of bounds. And you're like, yes! And the judge goes, in? <laughs> are you kidding me? And this happens over and over. All these shots that, that are out, the judge keeps saying that they're in. And you're like, what is going on? And finally, you just have, you've had enough, and you go up to the judge, and you say, I'm sorry, I, I just we need to talk for a second, because... Very clearly, these things that are out of bounds, you keep saying they're in bounds. What's going on? And the judge says, well, you know, these tennis rules are kind of antiquated and dated, and I don't know that they really apply to, to this game now in our lives today. And so I think it's a lot more fun. It's a lot easier if we just say everything's in. Followers of Jesus, we need to trust the Bible as our source of truth from God. And that means we don't conform uh, the Bible to our lifestyle. We conform our lifestyle to the Bible. And obviously, we do not do that perfectly. And if anyone ever says they do, they're lying. We don't do that perfectly, but that is the goal. Hebrews 13.4 says, going back to the issue, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between husband and wife. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So God gives us sex as a pleasurable gift, but he also gives us clear loving boundaries. As 1 Corinthians chapter, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> chapter 6, 9 and 10 says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is one of six passages in the Bible warning us against homosexuality. There are eight warnings about gossip, 31 about lust, 52 about stealing. There are hundreds of verses that remind us we need to love each other. But there are six passages, there are, that, remorn, that warn us about homosexual behavior. Now, God clearly warns us about any kind of sex outside of his plan, any kind. But people have used creative interpretations um, to explain these verses away. Not just these, anything that talks about sexual purity or any kind of sin. And in preparation for this, I, I read books, I talked to people, I, I had you know, discussions, I, I checked out the educated human reasoning on the, ab on the subject of sexual freedom and all of those things. And to be fair, you know, some of the arguments from a human standpoint, they sound kind of convincing and logical and all that stuff. But here's the thing. Rather than trusting dubious interpretations or human wisdom, it's better to trust that the Bible says what it means and it means what it says. And it's better to trust the one who created the boundaries in the first place because he loves us and he knows us. And just one more quick thing. What about the fact that Jesus never addressed homosexuality? Well, he didn't. He didn't say that word, but he also never talked about rape or slavery or domestic violence. But Jesus did talk about sexuality. 
he did. We already read the verse that talks about it. And, and the kind of sex that Jesus says is good and holy is between a married, 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 married man and woman. And anything outside that, behavior-wise, is wrong. He's not saying that orientation is necessarily wrong. He's not saying that temptation is necessarily wrong. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. So there's a difference between your desires and your actions. But I also want us to focus, because I, I know where some of us are right now. We need to focus on some other things that are in this list real quick, okay? Whatever you're focusing on, focus on the rest of this. Look at these verses. Have you ever been sexually immoral? Remember the quiz that we took. Have you ever been drunk or stolen anything? Have you ever cheated anyone? Have you ever said anything untrue and hurtful about someone? Have you ever been greedy? Have you ever put someone or something before God? Have you ever been a wrongdoer in any way? All of these things say that they keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. So listen, just real quick, if you're not on the list in any way, would you just raise your hand for us? Because we know Jesus is here. We just want to see where he's sitting. So... Um, sometimes we've said stuff like, you know, love the sinner and hate the sin, and I understand the, the thought behind that, but I feel like it's a, kind of a bumper sticker Christianity, and that really doesn't cut it. I mean, we need to have dialogue and conversation and prayer about all these struggles that we go through in our lives. And I also think that phrase is a little condescending, you know, and here's the main reason I think that it's good not to, to use is it's not in the Bible. This, however, is in the Bible. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Jesus said, remove the log in your own eye and then help your brother with a splinter in his eye, okay? So, in all of this, love God and love your neighbor, recognize God's great design for sex and sexuality, and recognize that all of us have gone outside that great design. Varying degrees, of course, but we've all gone outside of it. Which leads us to our next point. Going outside God's great design hurts people. It's true every time about any kind of sin, when we go outside God's clear, defined, ordained boundaries for sexual behavior or anything else that he's defined for us, there is damage. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20 says, flee from sexual immorality. Hey, run away from it. Sometimes you're supposed to stand and fight, not on this one. Run away. Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a man or a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Life Application Commentary says, God created sex to be a beautiful ingredient of marriage, but sexual sin, sex outside the marriage relationship, always hurts someone. It hurts God. Because it shows that we prefer following our own desires instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit. It hurts others because it violates the commitment so necessary to a relationship. It may bring disease to our bodies. And our personality responds in anguish when we harm ourselves or others physically and spiritually. Going outside God's great design hurts people. Let me give a really tangible example that people are just completely involved in and they think it's not doing any harm. Just one example. There are obviously in any area we could do this, but one example of this is, is pornography. Jesus clearly says that to lust for someone that's not your spouse is sin. And pornography, whether it's visual or written, causes us to do that. Time Magazine did an article talking about how uh, dangerous 
pornography is. A best-selling book called Girls and Sex points out some very disturbing trends that are happening among our young people in this highly sexualized culture. And it says the root cause of a lot of this is pornography. Um, GQ magazine ran an article called 10 Reasons You Should Quit Watching Porn. Now, none of these publications are by, like, right-wing conservative Christian groups. I mean, these are secular entities saying pornography is dangerous and it causes great harm. Our, our author of the book, David Platt, um, in Counterculture, makes a really important connection between a couple of dots for us. A quick survey of the college landscape in our culture reveals zealous activism on behalf of slaves around the world. Students watch documentaries, listen to speakers, hold charity walks and runs, and raise money to help trafficking victims. Meanwhile, almost 90% of college males and over 30% of college females are viewing porn in their dorms, apartments, and on their phones. Do we realize what we're doing? Every time a man or woman views pornography online, we are contributing to a cycle of sex slavery. We are fueling an industry that enslaves people for sex in order to satisfy selfish pleasure in our living rooms, our offices, and on our mobile phones. Do we see the depth of irony here? End quote. We're blessed to have Carmen Hamper with us today. Uh, she serves as an intern and a volunteer leader with International Justice Mission, also known as IJM, the world's largest anti-human trafficking organization. She, is also, she has also interned with Rafa House and Free the Slaves, ministries that help young boys and girls um, rescued from the horrific sex trafficking industry in several countries. Uh, Carmen is an attorney with a passion to make a positive impact in this arena, and she also happens to be our awesome daughter. And uh, she's with us today to give us an overview of the human trafficking issue. Um, and really, this relates not only to today's topic, but it really ties back into what Lefram was talking about last week with the need to value human life at all levels. So, um, Carmen, thanks for being here. Um, can you give us just kind of a quick overview of human trafficking? Sure. Um, so basically, human trafficking is just a new term for an old problem. It's the problem of modern-day slavery. And when we think of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, and we think how horrible that was, it was horrible. But it only affected about 13 million slaves throughout the entire history of that. Right now, there are an estimated 36 million slaves in the world today. And about 2 million of those are child sex slaves. Um, and this isn't just something that happens in far off places with corrupt governments. It's happening everywhere. Um, it's happening in Ohio, in our smallest towns, in our biggest cities. Um, and the Ohio Attorney General releases a, a report every year on human trafficking in Ohio. And in his latest report, he said about 1,000 children in Ohio have been used as sex slaves in the last year. Wow. So, sorry. Man, I know that, and it's still killing me. Um, when we think of those numbers, I mean, and all of that stuff, and we put faces to them, as you can do um, better than the rest of us typically, um, we kind of wonder, well, you know, where's God in all of that, right? I mean, help us figure that out. Yeah, I mean, when we hear these numbers, they are shocking, and they can make us feel powerless. Um, they can make us question why a loving God would allow such suffering to happen. Um, and I'm sure you can imagine being a child who's being sexually abused 15 to 20 times a day. You're probably not thinking that there's a loving God out there, are you? <laughs> 
And so it, it, it makes it hard. It makes you think, well, where is God? Why doesn't he care? But if we look to our Bibles, the source of truth, um, it's very clear that God has a heart for justice. Um, Psalm 10, 17 through 18 says, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. In Psalm 35, 10, it says, My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and the needy from those who rob them. And so these are just a couple of the dozens of verses um, that talk about God's heart for justice and the most vulnerable people. Um, and so we know that he has a heart for this. And it, the Bible also makes it clear what his plan is. Um, in Micah 6, 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And Isaiah 1:17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. Again, these are just a few examples. There are a ton more verses that have this similar strain, and it's pretty clear that God is making his appeal to the world through us. We are his plan for ending the suffering. He's not going to wave a magic wand and make it end. He's equipped us with the power through him to make that change and to end that suffering. And um, it's our job to show people that have been treated as objects that there's a God that loves them and that there are people that love them and that we're there to rescue them and help them heal. But we're also God's plan for reaching out to these people that are in such a dark place that they're going to abuse these children and these women and these little boys. They, they need to know about God, too, and they need our love and forgiveness, too. Um, and it's pretty simple. Um, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he could have done anything. He could have called manna from the sky. We've seen God do that before. But he didn't. He used a little boy's obedience. He used the few things that a little boy had, and he multiplied them to feed 5,000 people. And that's what he does when we come to him in obedience with the few things that we have, and we just respond in obedience to help feed his people. Um, and this is a huge area where we can meet that need. Okay, great, man. That's, that's good. So... Um there's all of this negative stuff. These statistics are swimming around in our heads, the responsibility of trying to do something. Um, can you give us an example of a time that this has actually, like, made a difference? You know, give us a, a, a tangible testimony, if you would, about human trafficking and, and people making a difference. And I have lots of stories of individuals that I've got to see come from this really dark place to just shining the light of Jesus, and I'd love to tell you those. Um, but I'll kind of give you, like, a more broad perspective of when I first got involved with this and went to Cambodia as an intern with Rafa House in 2010, the estimates were that about 30% of the children in Cambodia were sex slaves. 30%. Um, and through work of organizations like Rafa House and the International Justice Mission and people interceding and praying to move the hearts of law enforcement and judges and political leaders and all of these people coming together, now that number is less than 1%. Um, and that's just in a few years. Yeah. That is a miraculous change. Um, and... Uh, God also works miracles in the hearts of these kids who have been rescued. Um, when we went to the safe homes, you could tell such a clear difference between the kids who had just gotten there, 
who were still having a really hard time trusting people. They would burst into tears randomly. I mean, it's a really dark thing, and they're going to struggle with that for the rest of their lives. But there were also kids that would grab onto you as soon as they saw you, and they wanted to play with you, and they wanted to paint your nails, and they would throw temper tantrums just like any other kid, and they're thriving um, because of God's people answering that call to, to intercede for them. That's great. Um, thank you, Carmen, for that. And uh, there's work going on in Cambodia, Southeast Asia, you know, everywhere, but also here in Ohio. Um, everybody needs our help. So how, how then can we tangibly make a difference? And what are just a couple of quick suggestions you have for us? Yeah, well, there's actually a lot that you can do right now, right today. Um, first, just learn more about it, not just by looking at experts' ideas of what's going on with human trafficking and the best ways to combat it. That's important. But also go to your Bible and look to God's heart and God's call for us to be involved. Um, and I'm sure you'll be convicted of that. Um, and I, I can definitely give you a list of resources and Bible studies that are on these topics um, that are really, really good resources. Um, obviously, we can pray. Um, there are endless number of things you can pray about related to this topic. Um, but if you're interested, iGEM has a prayer partner kind of, it's just an email that you'll get like once a week um, about their most urgent prayer needs. And so some of you will have the cards in your bulletins if you want to sign up for that and hand those to me after the service. Or if you didn't get one, I'm sure I can find you one. Um, I was in the field with iGEM. I saw urgent needs that we requested to be prayed for, and I saw the huge change that it makes. So I can tell you that that 100% makes a huge difference. Um, you can actually volunteer with me. I do some events, but mostly I do advocacy work um, with iGEM. I'm kind of one of their Ohio leaders. And so we can go to our senators and our congresspeople, and we can show them that this is something that we care about. And we can ask them to co-sponsor and uh, actually draft legislation that combats it in Ohio and also around the world. Um, you can become a freedom partner with iJAM, which is a monthly donation. Those cards are in some of your bulletins as well. Or, you know, you can find any organization that's doing this work that connects to your heart with it, on it. And you can make a financial donation, of course. Um, and you can also use your financial resources to purchase products and services that are helping victims of um, sex trafficking directly. There are a number of organizations in Ohio that provide um, job training and actual jobs to women who have been rescued. Um, there's Freedom a la carte, which has catering services. So if you run a business, consider uh, hiring them for your next event. Or you can um, purchase cleaning services from She Has a Name. All of the cleaning women that they use have been victims of human trafficking. Um, so there are a lot more organizations I can tell you about as well. But you can treat yourself to something and be making a huge difference in someone's life at the same time. And then there are also like a lot of signs of human trafficking that you can learn about and be able to recognize when someone may be in a position, especially if you're a nurse or a coach or a teacher or someone who's around a lot of children. Um, if you can learn to recognize, the, recognize those signs and report them, you may be saving someone's life. So I'd love to talk to you about um, any of that after the service, and thanks for listening. Thank you, Carmen, so much. Really appreciate it. Your mom did good with you, girl. It's pretty awesome.
again, the, the point of that is to, to take one slice, just one area of sexual sin, and show that there is you know, negative stuff that happens. There are negative ramifications for it. And that happens again. Anytime sexual sin, anytime we go outside of God's plan, somebody gets hurt. Romans 6.23 points out the ultimate consequence of sin. It says the wages of sin is death. That's the eventual result of going outside God's plan, death. Separation from physical and spiritual life. From God, from anything that's good. That's really bad news. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the verse. Look at the rest of it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? See, our sin leads to death, but the sacrifice of Jesus leads to life. Because of Jesus, we have great hope. Doesn't mean it's easy. I've talked to people. I've struggled myself. You know, the, the temptation, the thing you have that you keep struggling with and you pray and you, you know, you keep asking and you want it to change and it doesn't necessarily do that all the time. And, you know, maybe that was part of Paul's thrown in the flesh. Nobody knows for sure. It's not easy, but there is hope. And when we're talking specifically about sexual sin, the question isn't do we open our doors to, to people who have gone outside of God's plan, God's design for sexual purity. Well, somebody opened the doors for us. All of us, again, at some point have been outside of that line. Real question is, are we willing to meet people wherever they are knowing that all of us need God's love and transforming truth and grace. We need to be aware that God can change people. It's not our responsibility, but God can change people, even me. And that change happens when we have an authentic, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, and that relationship is superior to any human relationship. See, there is great hope because of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 kind of takes a lot of what we've been talking about and encapsulizes it this way. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Process that for a second. He faced all the same testings we do, temptations that we face. Big difference, though, is yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. We enter the very presence of God through the grace, the sacrifice of Jesus. Now remember back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, that, that list that revealed the sin that all of us struggle with at some place. Again, not the end of the story. The very next verse, 
That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We are made clean, transformed, made right with God. And these aren't things we do on our own. These are things done to us by, through Jesus. Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we don't get stuck on who we were. We focus on who God is making us to be. Because of a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb, there is hope. And when we live inside God's plan, no matter what area of our lives, there is tremendous release, freedom, joy, and peace. Would you pray with me, please? God, there is no one greater, no one higher than you. You've designed us, created us. You've loved us with an everlasting love. We recognize that all of us have moved outside your great plan for us, and because of that, our relationship with you and with those around us has been broken. On our own, there's no hope. So instead, we focus on Jesus, what he's done, what he continues to do. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross, for his victory over sin and death, for his presence in our lives, for the Holy Spirit, for your word. Thank you for washing us, transforming us, perfecting us in your sight because of your grace. Through Jesus we pray.